Rhizome, all righty. Yeah, that's a botanical term that is referring to a modified stem. Right. I know it. Rhizome is a stem, y'all. It's growing underground. Not it's a stem. It's not a root. Not a root. <laughs> not a root. That's a sweet potato. A sweet potato is a root. <laughs> but a rhizome is a modified stem that grows underground from which, you know, roots arise. Or nodes and then, you know, uh, an iris has a rhizome. A lot of our plants have, yeah, Johnson grass has a rhizome. Yeah, all have rhizomes. So it's kind of interesting that people think it's a root, but it's really not. You know, botanically correct, it is a underground stem. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 60 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by producer Jeremy and not Ed. Ed got his first dose of the Antifa Super Soldier Serum and is uh, having some nasty side effects as his body tries to rid itself of all capitalist ideology. Um, so <laughs> Ed is Ed is not going to be joining us on this on this episode, but that's all right because we are joined by an excellent guest, Liv Agar, who's a philosopher, a Twitch streamer, a podcaster, a correspondent for uh, the podcast QAnon Anonymous. Like we were talking about before we started recording, I think the number one propagator of good theory and philosophy amongst the left podcasting sphere. So thanks for coming on, Liv. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always excited to talk about Deleuze yes, yes. and other theory related. That yeah. is exactly what we're going to get into. So I, I've I've had this idea of wanting to do these kind of like theory chat episodes because I think that we need more theory in our leftist analysis, especially in the kind of left podcasting realm. And I thought, yeah, Deleuze uh, would be like a great way to kick this off in part because Gillis Deleuze in particular... Um, his like essay and work on the the postscript on the societies of control was like a massively revelatory theoretical moment for me when I when I came across that mm. essay. It's just like still wild to me that he can that you can write something that's like five pages long and and be like one of the best theoretical statements um, of today that I've ever read. <laughs> Yeah, and not even today, because I know it was written in like 92. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like what he's writing are like predictions that have come true in like a way that even I don't think he understood the level in which he was correct almost. Yeah. Um, it really just helps describe like even like smart tech, for instance, and the platform platform economies um, and, and the sort of developing mass surveillance state and um, large scale data accumulation. Um, that were beginning to become like an essential element of like particularly capitalism in the first world mm -hmm. and like yeah in 92 30 I years know, ago it, it, it is so wild that like yeah it's almost it's almost like automatic writing or something like he he channeled the, the he channeled the spirit of capitalism um and and wrote its prophecy 30 years ago and we're seeing yeah. it all coming true yeah like um there's this really good quote I picked up, um, which I guess is more of, it's a, it's a Guattari, um, Deleuze is like generally, um, you know, a co-collaborator. They thought a lot together, wrote a bunch of books together. Um, but in, in Postscripts on Society of Control, it's, uh, just a way of like introducing just Postscripts on Society of Control yeah. as a piece. 
is a quote, Felix Qatari has imagined a city where one would be able to leave one's apartment, one's street, one's neighborhood, thanks to one's individual electronic card that raises a given barrier. But the car could just as easily be rejected on a given day or between certain hours. What counts is not the barrier, but the computer that tracks each person's position. And it's like, you know, 92, the, the idea of like that you could use a card to get into, let's say, like your apartment or your job and that they would communicate and be in, in this like system of, of control and monitoring was like, you know, Felix Katari just being like, wouldn't it be crazy if this happened? <laughs> and it's absolutely happened. Yeah, and then we fucked around and found out <laughs> it happened. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, I love that example because it like, yeah, and like the you know, early 90s when he was writing this, that was totally like cyberpunk, right? That was some like William Gibson, Neuromancer type shit. Um, like, wow, like th- this would be wild. And then like not that long later, it's like, no, that that is, that is the way it works. Like I have to now tap my key card when I enter and leave any building on my university campus. It's not only about getting, uh, like opening up locked doors, it's now about like, COVID tracking like they use that as a way to like see when you were in buildings and how and where you were moving around campus right it is interesting and you know you have to preface this analysis by saying like we're not doing the the vaccine as Bill Gates um you know nanites that are tracking you and you know (laughs) like masks are a tool of you know you're not doing that analysis but that like COVID and COVID tracking has been like a, a a very important testing site for a lot of these newer sort of data surveillance apparatuses. Um, And in a certain sense, and this goes back to sort of the Foucault elements of postscripts on a society of control, which we can talk Mm. about too, because it's like writing about Foucault and about discipline and punish, um, about how like power is productive. In, In a lot of cases, like power works to allow for social formation to function. So like, you know, um, keeping control of, people or, or access to like surveillance of people in relation to COVID is probably going to help prevent a lot of COVID cases, even if the logical conclusions of that are something like the society of control. Foucault himself, but also a lot of uh, other scholars that draw on both like Foucault and Deleuze uh, come out of public health or they do like research on public health because like that was really... Uh, a major kind of uh, like origin point for a lot of techniques and practices of surveillance and population control. And, but I think you're right. Like there is a productive element to that where it's like, we need some of that to, to have good public health, to understand the spread of diseases. Like, but then there is also very much a kind of a, a, a shadow side um, to that, to that act of power and we can see it, you know, like, you know, I, I know um, a lot of scholars drawing in particular on Foucault really focused on like HIV and um, STI, STD tracking in like, uh, particularly in like the 80s and 90s um, as as a kind of both a, as, you know, this like transition from a system of disciplinary power towards a system of, of control. Yeah. And of course, very topical as well, because like Foucault, of course, like was one of the, I think the earliest like public intellectual to die of HIV, mm-hmm. if I'm not incorrect. That is correct. Public health and also biopolitics is interesting and something I, which is also like a Foucaultian thing, but something I hadn't considered is like the relationship with biopolitics and the society of control. Mm. 
Because it has to combine in some way, I would imagine. Obviously, in relation to disciplinary power. But yeah, the, the public health point is very interesting. I think it would be useful just to talk through uh, Deleuze's right. essay yes, because yeah, yeah. it is it is only like five or six pages, but it's like every time I reread it, I get something new out of it or I get some new truth yeah. out of it. It's very dense, right? And there's there's so much in it. Mm-hmm. Like Deleuze is very good at doing that. Um, where like you'll read it the first time or with a lot of Deleuze, you'll read it the first time and be like, all right, I get some of these words and some of them are like a little... And then you read it again, you're like, oh, I get a bit more of them. And then again and again. Um, yeah, at least, you know, the postscript on Societies of Control is just an essay. And it's not like a thousand plateaus where it's him doing that yeah. for like 600 pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we can go over like, I guess, like sovereign, disciplinary and control mm, power. Yeah, because um, yeah, Deleuze like really like, sets up the essay as a kind of not a reaction to, but a kind of discussion with Foucault, you know, laying out like, this is what Foucault has said about disciplinary power, but I and Foucault are seeing a kind of transition towards a new type of society. There's obviously like, so the tripartite powers, or I guess epistems is the Foucauldian term, uh, one of which Deleuze adds, which is control. And then um, Foucault has sovereign and disciplinary power. So um, sovereign power is sort of like the, the the feudal form of power, essentially. It's, it's, I guess, a more crude form of surveillance. The general idea is like, if the powers that be see you breaking the law, going against the sovereign, the king, they will punish you in public. It'll be very painful, you know, the truth of your punishment is is like enshrined in that punishment. Clearly, you know, people will think clearly that person is guilty. Look at how brutal the punishment they've, they've like experienced is. I won't do that because I'm scared that the sovereign is going to see me and also punish me as well. Mm-hmm. And then disciplinary power, which you can sort of see as beginning during industrialization and capitalism, functions on like the, obviously the panoptic model. So the panopticon is a is a surveillance device popularized by Bentham, who is a utilitarian, who actually, interestingly, I learned that Bentham took the panoptic model from something that was already being used in a factory. Oh, okay. Which, so the, the Foucault thesis is like that um, the panopticon was used initially in the prison and tried in the prison. And it's this um, surveillance mechanism that where the prisoner does not know whether, um, it you know, like has like sort of a one-way mirror. So the prisoner does not know whether there is a guard watching them. So they internalize the laws of, let's say, the prison, the power relationships, the codes that they have to follow, at risk that maybe they're being surveyed. And it's a very, of course, utilitarian um, um, mechanism of surveillance because you don't actually have to hire a guard to survey people most of the time. Mm-hmm. They, they internalize the laws. Yeah, they, um, they, they have and, the, they have the and, yeah, police in their head. Like they, they, they've got a cop in their exactly. mind that's always watching them and telling them to do what's right. Yes. And then I guess the essential point that, that Deleuze says about the society of control is that it's a lot, it's in a certain sense, a lot like the panopticon, except the, now it's beneficial to constantly survey people. 
it's now, it really is the case that there is this technological surveillance apparatus that is constantly keeping track of where you are and what you mm-hmm. do. So, you know, in a certain sense, you no longer have to internalize the laws and the rules and the codes because those, they will be reinforced if you do something wrong by the punishment of the surveillance apparatus. That's a really good move there because like the kind of disciplinary power acts on like it trades on like paranoia, guilt, shame, like this kind of threat of being surveilled and possibly disciplined. Um, And the threat is like all that you need to feel like, yeah, like paranoid about like, am I being watched to feel shameful and guilty about like, in a work case, right? Like, am I being productive enough, right? Like I've internalized this like guilt about my like productivity or like in like a kind of social sense, like I feel shame about my deep, my quote unquote deviant lifestyle. And so like I purge myself of it. But like, yeah, this transition towards control is like based on, like not making mere threats of surveillance, but like following through on this, like, no, you are actually always being monitored, judged, controlled, watched, like by these invisible systems, like whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a sort of hyper capitalism, right? Because it's the, the, the Panopticon is introduced to make it more, more efficient to like survey people because it costs, you know, it costs a lot of money to constantly watch every prisoner at once. So it's like the, you know, the Bentham argument is like, well, isn't this way more efficient? We don't even have to watch anyone. We don't have to pay any guards at some point. But now it becomes the case, obviously, that like data accumulation is profitable. It makes quite a bit of money to watch people. Mm. So we see this, and and this isn't really a point that I think Deleuze makes, but I think it's a reality we see Mm -hmm. as a result of this technological surveillance apparatus that it makes a lot of money to having massive amount of data on someone. So you can like do targeted ads, for instance, or even like whether it's a good idea to, um, you know, give a mortgage to someone, et cetera. So, yeah. And, and we, and, and, and we still don't have to pay guards because we can like automate it. <laughs> we can, uh, yes, we can yeah, strap yeah. everybody with, uh, like a- ankle monitors or wrist like bracelet monitors uh and we can like automate the the monitoring of that through like just like really simple algorithmic like if this person goes here or does this then punishment happens like um for an amazon worker it's no longer the case that there's this like panoptic gaze you have a you have a monitor you know on your wrist or whatever and if you're not efficient enough it'll be like you're not being efficient enough It'll tell you, and it's not, it's fully automated. Yeah. And and, and do you, have you heard the names for these like um, automated uh, and like data driven factory technologies that Amazon's created? So one of them is called Monotron, and one of them is called Panorama. Oh, (laughs) there is no subtext (laughs) anymore. It's all just pure text, like mask off. There's no irony. They're just like rubbing it in our face.
there's some VP or something in Amazon that thought this would be like a really funny joke. Like, like I'm I'm gonna dunk on Liv yeah. and Jathan by naming it Panorama yeah. and Monotron. <laughs> I'm gonna make them so yeah, mad on pub- in, in public. <laughs> uh, Google used to have the motto "Don't be evil," remember? And then they removed it. They no longer have that motto. It's like, I mean, it's it's so on the nose. Like, surely. Surely someone in management was like, well, we can't do this, right? Like, that's, everyone would realize, like, it's too obvious. But no, I mean. Yeah, like, that motto was always just, like, a marketing ploy. Uh, And and, and it was, like, if I remember right, the way that, the reason Google chose that was because it was a way of saying that unlike all, like when they were a young company, a startup is like, unlike all of the other companies that collect and sell your data, we won't do that because we're not evil. So that was their idea of evil was like collecting and like selling data um, of their like of their users. And then at some point they were like, oh, we've actually become one of the richest country companies in the world. Uh, con- nice 40 and slip their country company. But one, yeah. of the ni- <laughs> one of the richest yeah. companies in the world by doing exactly the thing that we called evil at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that we uh, are evil. So I guess we have to remove this. Yeah. This logo Jeremy now, just oops. threw in the chat, die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. It, it's all just, it's all Batman <laughs> yeah. all the way down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because in the the, the piece, uh, Postscripts on Society of Control, Deleuze talks about the corporation sort of replacing the factory um, as the sort of the central workplace or, or you know, site um, where, where, where with, the, with the factory, there is this class dynamic Essentially, um, there, there is a, a disciplinary um, way of, of creating as much production as possible as the, the most efficient extraction of surplus value. And then in the, the corporation, you see this move towards, I guess, like rewards as well, like, like uh, competition between employees. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting to think about like platform-based um, um, like, uh, business models, for instance, like Uber, as an example of um, this that like Deleuze could not have identified because this was in 92, but that are absolutely, I think probably even more the case, like it's not even simply the corporation as a site of the site of control, but more the like platform-based gig economy. Yeah, as this, Th- this is a, a, a this is a really good point. I think you really hit on something. One of many things that like Deleuze said, and I was just like, oh shit! Like like just a throwaway sentence that has nothing but truth in it. Um, I'm I'm gonna quote. He says. Um, Quote, the factory constituted individuals as a single body to the double advantage of the boss who surveyed each element within the mass and the unions who mobilized a mass resistance. But the corporation constantly presents the brashest rivalry as a healthy form of emulation, an excellent motivational force that opposes individuals against one another and runs through each, dividing each within. Competition is now for workers capitalists cooperate with each other workers are the ones that compete against each other yeah like um and we can think of this with like uber and unions for instance especially after like prop 22 in california where it's like how how does it even in general like how does an uber driver unionize it's clearly much more difficult than like factory workers in a factory Mm. because you're not sort of you're not beside each other 
and and also one of the as as far as I understand for like um, Uber drivers, they're rewarded for being more efficient, and that's again based on the large scale data collection of where they are um, and their relationship to traffic and how much more efficient they could be. Um, that the more efficient Uber drivers, the ones who get the higher rated, um, you know, ratings, um, get more rides and then therefore get more money. So it's this competition. It is a competition. And you're, you're totally right here as well. I I remember reading a study, um, recently qualitative study interviewing like, uh, Uber drivers, um, in Washington DC and around that area. And I think they were asking them like, do you know anybody else that works for Uber? Like, are you friends with them? Do you get drinks with them or like whatever? And I think it was something like 65% of people of respondents to this survey had said that they didn't know anyone else that worked on Uber. And these are Uber drivers. Like they're, they're competing against each other for, for rides, for jobs, you know, uh, yeah. Trying to be like more efficient than everybody while at the same time, like, actually like having no social interaction not knowing anybody else that yeah. works on this platform yeah it's tr- i mean it's truly obviously nightmarish as a as a way of a fo- model forward into the future mm. um and just yeah very explicitly predicted by Deleuze in a way that i don't think he understood like the level in which he was correct. Yeah, I I, I think oh. you're right. Like he had something inside. He was tapping into something, but I don't think he truly understood what he was tapping into either. And he would have been fucking horrified yeah. to oh, realize because yeah. like this essay is clearly written as a kind of a, a, like a self-preventing prophecy. It's like, I'm writing this to be like, look, I, I think the, the essay is even broken up into three different headlines. So historical, logic, and program. He's like, look, I'm trying to give you a history of of these emerging control systems, trying to lay out the logic, and I'm trying to lay out the program of change that's going to happen. Don't let this come true. And we failed him. We failed him. (laughs) Yeah, we failed to this. Yeah, like the, the end of it is quite beautiful, I think. The uh, many young people strangely boast of being motivated. They re-request apprenticeships and permanent training. It's up to them to discover what they're being made to serve, just as their elders discovered, not without difficulty, the telos of the disciplines. The coils of a serpent are even more complex than the burrows of a molehill, mm. which is, you know, it's very much so like Deleuze's generation discovered disciplinary power, began to understand it, and now there's this rapid change. It's up to the younger generation to understand, properly contextualize it, and he's providing like a, a beginning points of that understanding, or at least attempting to, and clearly succeeded. Yeah, may, maybe it'll be really helpful if we do a bit more um, comparison between these disciplinary societies and the control societies, because I think you're you're right, and this is you know really what like Deleuze is trying to get at as well is you know like a lot of the 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 student movements and and so on in like the '60s and '70s, which Deleuze and Foucault and all them like this was like really in the heyday, right? Like they were like actively involved like they're both you know french and so they were like you know there in like the the summer of 68 you know and like the 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 big kind of french social uprisings like in the 60s and i think you 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 nailed it that like that was a reaction to these disciplinary institutions 
um, that like Foucault talks a lot about, right? Where it's like the, the, the prison, the hospital, the factory, the school, the family, like all of these are what Foucault calls em- environments of enclosure. And they're kind of these institutions that are meant to administer our life discipline us into certain types of subjects so that we fit into society, that we conform to a specific vision of society. That was the kind of like mass resistance was against that, you know, against these institutions, against these kind of these molds that were trying to shape people into certain types of beings. And that was where a lot of the the kind of like new left radicalism against like the family as an oppressive structure uh, against like the the school to prison pipeline, right? Where it's like, um, you know, like we are disciplined to move from the school to the barracks to the prison and just lockstep. And all of these are the same institution, just slightly different than each other. Right. Yeah. Deleuze is attempting to give the younger generation an understanding of like the fights you will fight are going to be different than like 68. The institutions will look different and they're, they're functioning in a, in a, in a radically different way or they're beginning to function in a different way. I actually wonder, um, how much Foucault himself talks about enclosures? Because I know that there's there's one criticism of Deleuze um, in general. And it's not really a criticism. He's sort of open about it. That he will like reinterpret a thinker and then say, he actually agrees with me. <laughs> right. You know, actually, it's actually Hume is totally in agreement with me. Um, so is Spinoza. They're, all of the, the you know, the, the orthodox readings are... Uh, he doesn't say that they're wrong. He um, I can't remember the word for it that, that he uses, but he's like, I, I will twist... I will twist a thinker uh, to such a degree that even they will not understand it when they read my work. Although it's slightly different with Foucault, of course, because they were friends. So I, so it's less, it's less of a sort of a radical restructuring. The Deleuzean line is, of course, that there are these disciplinary institutions that only sort of not maybe I, I maybe I wonder if he claims that they only talk to like they don't communicate meaningfully with each other. There, it's like very clear you move from one institution to another um and and then in the society of control these institutions become to be more diffuse it becomes to be it begins to become the case that it is much harder to notice when you are in the school or the factory or other institutions because they are all communicating with each other and they are all affecting you within um re- regardless of where you are so like the whole society itself in, in the Deleuzean society of control becomes itself an enclosure. I, I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. And I, I mean, I, I, I like Deleuze's interpretation of all this personally. Yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I, I think going to that, that kind of uh, resistance and crisis moment as well, and those, those different institutions, I think this is a really crucial point that Deleuze is making, um, that like the difference between the discipline and control societies is that, so he says near the beginning of the essay, well, he's talking about how like all of these um, institutions, like the, the prison, the hospital, the factory, the family, like they're all in this moment of crisis. Quote, the administration in charge never cease announcing supposedly necessary reforms to reform schools, to reform industries, hospitals, the armed forces, prisons, and so on. But everyone knows that these institutions are finished, whatever the length of their expiration periods. It's only a matter of administering their last rites 
governments and of keeping people employed until the installation of the new forces knocking at the door. There is no need to fear or hope, but only to look for new weapons. That's such a good it, that line. That is such a good line. Uh, there's so many of these, like, just, he just throws in, just randomly peppers in these little, these little lines where I'm like, like I don't think, yeah. like, I couldn't write anything as good as there is no need to fear or hope, yeah. but only to look for new weapons. It reminds me of the, when he talks about, like, lines of flight or lines of escape in Capitalism and Schizophrenia. Um, a lot of it is in reference to, I can't remember which Black Panther, uh, who he, uh, who attempted to multiple times break out of, I believe, San Quentin. Oh, I can't, I'm blanking on his name. But there's a quote by him that essentially says, like, that he's he's trying to escape from the prison while also looking for a weapon in, in the literal sense of looking for like a weapon to be able to escape and to defend himself, but also, you know, escape from the carceral state while also looking for a weapon to destroy it. Um, uh, was it I'm, George I, Jackson? I'm blanking. George Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that sort of relates to, uh, I think the, the quote you read off that you're, you're looking for a, a way out or, or a way away from the society of control. Also, looking for a weapon to destroy it. Exactly. And I think one of the things that is like, you know, most kind of frightening about this picture he paints of the societies of control and the way it's becoming actualized is that in a way, like these disciplinary institutions, we could at least understand them, right? They were like discrete things. Like they had boundaries around them. Like we we could look at it and be like, that's a factory, that's a school. Okay, like I'm going to take this apart like brick by brick. But he, the, he calls control mechanisms, quote, inseparable variations forming a system of variable geometry the language of which is numerical which doesn't necessarily mean binary he's already there preempting a lot of the a lot of the digital and the computers and stuff this idea that like and i think this comes to his idea of the rhizome which maybe you can help us explain i know that's a concept that is Mm. immensely confusing to a lot of people uh even me who i've spent a lot of time trying to understand it and make it like really clear but this idea of the rhizome as this like this simultaneously like hidden continuous uh but at the same time kind of like intermittent like it pops up here and there um but there's no like there's no like boundary that you can draw around these control systems or these rhizomatic structures They're, they're not discrete like these institutions like the hospital or the factory um but rather they are all like interlocked with each other and 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 like an iceberg like most of it is beneath the surface um and all the like the connections are all hidden but they are all connected it's one big organism it's not multiple discrete institutions but just one big mass of thing yeah like it's spread out all its connections are like non-essential you know you can't cut the head off of the snake so to speak it feels as if you have to cut like every single little little um connection that connects all of these different institutions their different relationships of power um for it to for you to meaningfully able to fight it which and which makes it even difficult to find what you need to attack in the first place And then when you find it, it's like, well, how do I even begin to do this? Uh, Delis has this dichotomy, and it's not really a dichotomy because, you know, he's being against dichotomies, the rhizomatic understanding, which, you know, it gets, you know, as you mentioned, the concept of the rhizome is very, like, elusive. It's hard to... Hard to hard to get a, a solid grasp like a, on. Like it's a, a rhizome, it's hard to get a grasp on it. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is eerie in action. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how you. That's how I know. Like when I, when I try to write in a rhizomatic way, I just make it so people don't understand it, and then it's like <laughs> that's because it's a rhizome. You know, it doesn't have a subject or an object. It's not signifying anything. Um, it's like I'm I'm but, actually doing good theory here because I'm writing in a rhizomatic way. I'm channeling the rhizome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like there's this. Dichotomy is the wrong word, but distinction between like a tree-like logic, an arborescent logic, and then the rhizomatic logic. So the you know the tree-like logic in Deleuze and guitar as well um, begins with this essential point. It's like data. It's actually data analysis initially. Um, I believe is the analogy. Begins with a single point and then um, you know carries out by distinction. Whereas the rhizome, there is no essential point. Um, there is no like essential connection that makes a thing mean another thing. I guess this is the way of putting it. But also, um, tree-like structures begin to sort of burst out and create rhizomes. And rhizomes sometimes, you know, bud and create tree-like structures. And, and in the case of, like, the the rhizome in, in connection to the society of control, there are these very tree-like structures that relate to, like, the state and private property and, and the, you know, the militant wing of capitalism, right? There are these essential, these essential um, um, points in it. Like, you can think of, like, the... Donald Trump, when he was president, is this like essential point for like a lot of like people in, in the military as well as the police. But then um, there is a, syst- a rhizomatic system of data that we were talking about before, the society of control that sort of buds out of that tree-like structure and creates these 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 rhizomatic structures that are harder to understand and more dif- dispersed and diffuse um, and difficult to identify. And they they work in tandem. In a very interesting yeah, way. Yeah, I, I think this is what like uh, people call the blob, right? Like the foreign policy blob, yeah. where it's like there, it doesn't matter who's in power per se, if it's Trump or Obama or Biden, because there's there's a blob, right? There's this like kind of amorphous mass of of influence and uh, interconnection and interest and and so on that just kind of like subsumes you into it um, and 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 just makes makes you one of the the offshoots. Uh, you you might be like the big figurehead offshoot, but at the end of the day, you've been subsumed into the blob, and therefore you are part and parcel of it. And and through that, you reproduce its interest. You are now on its. You are now following its momentum, its trajectory, um, whether you know it or not. Right, like that is now what you are. Which I think that that gets to a lot of the kind of like you know, leftist critiques where it's like, it doesn't matter. It matters in some ways who, who's in who's in power, obviously. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in a major way because as long as that blob, that system is in place, then without like striking at the heart of it, then, then like whoever is put into that position of power will just be subsumed into it. Oh yeah, um, and also with the rhizome, it's important to note that, like, for Deleuze and Guattari, it's like the method of escape outside of capitalism as well. 
it's the the mode of like a decentralized you know assemblage um um that that is anti-hierarchical it's anti-state it's anti-capitalist or has the tendency to become it um but then also you know has this tendency of a i guess it talked about before the line of escape the line of flight outside of capitalism but then also of course because again it's a very complicated idea that's mobilized in many different contexts it also is a contingent element of the society of control and the thing we're trying to fight but but seemingly like in that context it there are these sort of buds and creations of um, pseudo at least tree-like structures that you see through like the position of someone like Donald Trump or even Joe Biden now, the police state, the the military, etc. Uh, an important, I think, theme in Deleuze's work is to to find the lines of escape, the rhizomatic modes of, of political and social organization that don't then bud into these sort of tree-like hierarchical capitalist structures. Yeah, I think this botany or uh, plant plant-based analogy is really helpful because it, it was like what really made it clear for me is also realizing that like Deleuze and Guattari in this concept of rhizomes is itself a, a term that they borrow from botany. Like rhizomes are, are a type right, yeah. of plant and it's a type of plant that is constructed of this like mass of tangled roots, usually subterranean um, and it sends off these like roots and shoots from from various nodes of the center mass, which spread uh, through the ground and break through the surface. I, I came across an example of one of the most striking examples of, of a botanical rhizome, which is called uh, Pando or the Trembling Giant. And it, it, it's like this theorized or suspected to be the single largest living organism um, in the world. And it's like this enormous grove of quaking aspens in Utah. Um, and it's like, it looks like a forest, a, a very beautiful one, but it look, it just looks like a normal forest. But in reality, every single tree um, is actually a stem of a subterranean rhizome and every single tree is genetically identical to each other. And, and, and they're all linked together through a single root system. Pando uh, or the trembling giant is the world's heaviest organism over 40,000 stems and among the world's oldest living things, 80,000 years old. It has become so large and survived so long because it is constantly regenerating and reproducing itself. That's a good analogy for, you know, even especially the society of control, right? Where they, you have this rhizomatic sort of assemblage underwards, these non-hierarchical connections that make up this massive, clearly very difficult to destroy, incredibly large organism that is also just extremely cool. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, we do have to, like <laughs> like Marx admiring the, the capitalist modes of production, we do kind of yeah. have to admire the rhizomatic <laughs> systems of control because it's like, damn, that's, that's some impressive human ingenuity there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The humans really are good at screwing ourselves over in the most sort of exquisite, exquisite way possible. <laughs> you know, complicated, nuanced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a, for me, a really good to bring it back to thinking about like tech and in particular like smart technology because like when I came across Deleuze 
It was like a while ago. Like I was in grad school, like so many other people who come across the loose for the first yes, time. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like trying to think about, and in particular, smart cities, but in a broad sense, just like smart technology and things like the Internet of Things and cloud computing and all of the all of these networked systems. I was like trying to think about it, and I just like randomly read Deleuze's essay, and I was like this is it. This is, this is how you think about these things. Because like in the way that we just described rhizomes, you know, using that example of uh, the, the quaking Aspen Grove, like this is exactly what we are surrounded by, even with like, uh, you know, a common device like the Amazon Alexa. And here I'm thinking of um, this really brilliant essay and like art project uh, that Kate Crawford and Vladlian Joveler, I think. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that name, but it was an essay called Anatomy of an AI System. And in that essay, they like try to visualize and map out and trace like every single input um, and every single system uh, that goes into an Amazon Alexa, like a very common device. Um, and what they what they reveal is that even something like that is just like this immensely complex system of data flows, cloud servers, algorithmic analysis, communication protocols, user interfaces, human labor, but then also like rare earth materials and like so many other components and layers and labor and like all these things that makes this one device digital virtual informational but also material mechanical biological spatial it's like this one thing is a rhizome it it, it is like with contained within this handheld device are these just sprawling networks that are almost incomprehensible. We cannot draw a boundary around any of these systems, let alone the ways in which they're all like interconnected with each other, the ways that we interact with them and they interact with us, you know, they're so hidden. Yeah, no, like these are the things that are, we, we're like proliferating. And that's just a, an innocuous thing like an Amazon Alexa, right? That contains all of that. Right. Yeah, this, this is, I'm looking this up, this this anatomy of an AI system. And it's very, very interesting, at least on first glance. But that's definitely like, it, it relates to as well, it's a very good point, uh, relates as well to like um, uh, the idea of the enclosures going away. That, that in the society, this one society, you know when you move from one enclosure to another because, you know, it's like you're treated differently. There's a different panopticon in the middle of the factory, in the middle of, you know, the 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 prison, etc. And it treats you in a different way. Um, but in the, the society of control, everything is subterranean, the way the power works. You look at a, something like a, a, an Alexa and how incredibly complicated it is, and your simple encounters with it are just talking to it and then it tells you something. You know, you're not supposed to notice how any of the power works. If it's working properly, and and if you're not blocked in any way, you know, you don't do something that it deems wrong, you're going to be great. You're going to be fine and you don't even notice any of this works. I it reminds me or makes me think of like particularly like children of the 1% who are relatively rich um, who are like let's say being born now um who would maybe like the the almost dystopia I imagine is like this idea of like the Amazon smart shop, what is it called? Oh, yeah, where, Amazon. Amazon Go, yeah, where you where you go in and then you just put something in your bag and it charges you for it without you having to do anything. 
this idea of like those kids being like that wasn't the case but like you that you couldn't always just go in and then seamlessly you know put something in your in your cart and then leave you couldn't just like ask alexa to to do this complicated task for you and then it would do it and everything all of the power is subterranean and not noticed and not encountered mm. At least if, if you're privileged, of course, because the, the less privileged are constantly being blocked and prevented from access to particular things. But yeah, it's, it's totally rhizomatic. Yeah. Totally I mean, embedded. I, totally I love subtle. that example. Deleuze has kind of laid out what I've seen, what I see is like three components of a control society that are all like kind of necessary to come together. One that we're the like kind of foundation that we're talking about is the rhizomes. And what you just um, alluded to is the, the passwords, right? Like these are the things that allow you to move about through a control society. Like as long as all of your passwords are are in place. But before we get to that, that reminds me, um, like a few weeks ago, we had Aaron Thorpe on. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about was the way in which like convenience uh, has become an overriding ideology uh, and, and a, a kind of like legitimation myth of digital capitalism and these smart systems. Um, and, and, and that's like, that is the way that the Amazon Go store is sold is that it's like the ultimate customer convenience experience. Um, but in reality, as, as you like really greatly just, just laid out is that the, the convenience is there to mask the the rhizome to mask the system to mask all of the power relations that are happening um your only point of interface with it is through this like ultra convenient experience and you're not meant to think any further beyond wow that was a really convenient experience okay i'll just go about my day now it's truly like one of the things that like foucault noticed about disciplinary power is how like subtle it is and how much how how compared to sovereign power it's it's much more difficult you know in the french revolution which is a essentially in the Foucauldian lens a revolt against sovereign power you go to the king and you cut his head off because he's the sovereign he's the one causing it but with disciplinary power you no longer have a king to go and cut their head off and in and in the society of control it's like I, I can't. I can't even think of a of a of an analogy that would make it even more diffuse than that. But it's like you can't even. You don't even know who is like an agent of. I, I guess the even government um, institutions and who's the ones. Who are the ones who are specifically more important in upholding them? Because a lot of the the institutions of power and their mechanisms are like subterranean. You don't even notice mm. that they're functioning on you. Yeah, it makes me think as well of like there's so many Frankenstein characters in in the like creation and origin story of this like you know the, these like technologists and engineers who pioneered uh things like you know I'm thinking of uh, of like uh Norbert Wiener who was like the creator of cybernetics and then like later you know in cybernetics as this uh this like science of control that 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 is what cybernetics is meant to be it comes from um the greek for um like helmsman or or, or steer you know like you know cybernetics are these systems of of control and and like he created the, the this this technology or this science um which is like you know the underpinnings for so much of what exists now and then like but shortly after he very much 
was like disavowed it. It was like, no, this is actually awful because it's being used in really awful ways by the military, by capital. Uh, And and he was like trying to go around um, and speaking against my thing that I've created has gone. It's out of control and we have to put it down. We have to put it down. Um, And and nobody would listen to him. It was like, no, the the, the (laughs) science is beyond you now. Like we have found a use for it. Um, And, and, I'm thinking as well of like, you know, much like, you know, this was back in like the like post-World War II and like cybernetics was created in World War II um, for like to create like automated like uh, anti-aircraft weapons and things like that that would be based on these kind of like feedback mechanisms um, and so on. But like much later, like in the 90s, this guy, Mark Weiser, who is a, a pioneer of ubiquitous computing, um, like famously wrote this essay where he stated the most, prof- quote, the most profound technologies are those that disappear. They weave themselves into the fabric of everyday life until they are indistinguishable from it. And this was also partly him trying to be like, this thing that I've pioneered is getting out of control. We have to do something about it. And no one listened. <laughs> the, the spirit of the technology had already been taken by capital, had already like get, been given this life of its own by capital. That's super interesting. It reminds me a lot of like, and this is like a, a reality for a lot of coders in general, for instance, where like a lot of the like military industrial complex is contingent on like open source code and the military using it. So it's very difficult for a lot of coders to even have known that like their code was used to like make a drone operate or something, you know, like make, make something very integral for the military industrial complex to function that like the, the war, the, the American war machine, like takes that, takes that code and then uses it in ways that like a lot of the coders who may not be like even sympathetic to the military in the first place and would like never consciously even never consciously code something that could be used in the military have their have their work appropriated and there's nothing they can do about it it's obviously to a lesser extent than the two examples you gave, but a similar sort I of. I think you're exactly right, and that that's that's what's yeah. really sparked a lot of the like burgeoning like tech worker movement and like labor actions in tech and like, uh, you know, like the walkouts at Google against like Project Maven and stuff was like, you know, these engineers and programmers and and tech workers being like, I didn't sign up to make. Uh, like AI for the military or for drone strikes, um, but it's like, well. You know, Jeremy just threw in the chat, you know, the ghost in the machine has completely taken over. And I think that's actually like yeah. a really nice segue there uh, because in Deleuze's essay on societies of control, he lays out on top of everything else, he lays out this like really succinct theory of the corporation, which like you were talking about at the like near the beginning of the episode. And and in that he he says, Um, Deleuze says, quote, we are taught that corporations have a soul, which is the most terrifying news in the world. Um, And this is like, you know, like 25 years earlier uh, or 20 years earlier than when Mitt Romney said, corporations are people, my friend. (laughs) 
There's so many yeah, little little uh, bits in here of elements of, of the piece in which, again, Deleuze is more correct than I think he ever would have thought he was. Mm. To a terrifying degree, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah, like trying to theorize that form of the corporation, like this new form of capital, I think is also really important. And like another, like when I was rereading the essay for the first time in a while in prep for this episode, like there were things in it that jumped out uh it, it's like it's like fucking reading like nostradamus where i'm like reading this and then like <laughs> like relating these kind of like cryptic uh theoretical statements to like things that are happening um and so he also says quote in the present situation capitalism is no longer involved in production which it often relegates to the third world even for the complex forms of textiles metallurgy or oil production it's a capitalism of higher order production it no longer buys raw materials and no longer sells the finished products it buys the finished products or assembly parts what it wants to sell is services what it wants to buy is stocks yeah i mean i think that that's exactly right right where it's like the the whole post-industrial yeah and the whole economy now is just based on like stocks and options right like robin hood gamestop right like that like really yeah. threw it in the sharp relief where it's like and we talk a lot we've been talking a lot on tmk about like asset managers and index funds and things like that where it's like the this whole economy is just based on selling uh and buying like abstract representations of the economy yeah, the, the the one of the most absurd examples I think of that is like NFTs. <laughs> I don't know if you've talked. We've about not that really the, talked about yeah, NFTs, but well, yeah, go go off, go off. <laughs> it's their blockchain based technology, which the blockchain is incredibly rhizomatic. It's extremely a rhizome, decentralized production. Um, there's no essential point. The the ledger is fully public of who owns what and what transactions are made. And I, I guess the, the non-fungible token or NFT is like a, um, it uses the blockchain technology to keep track of who owns essentially like an, a particular image or, or you know, uh, the particular image exists in one person's wallet and you can bid on that image. Or it, I think it's not necessarily an image. Um, I admittedly don't know um, as much about the the technical details, but but... It really is over nothing. It's over the fake ownership of like something like an image. You know, um, one of them was, um, I believe that, uh, uh, I think this was in like a, a two years ago. There was a lot of, or not a lot of, but uh, some people would buy like rare Pepe's. Yes. <laughs> and there were NFTs of like different Pepe's. Um, this is in the, the Feels Good Man documentary. If anyone has listened to that, it's very good. Um, goes over this. And and one of them, the rarest Pepe they had, sell, uh, sold for like $20,000 or something ridiculous. And it was just like a, it was a ledger of a photo of a Pepe that went to one's particular wallet um, and you paid $20,000 for it. You know, you can print out the photo of the Pepe, but it's not the same. Right. Because you don't have the ownership of it through the blockchain. And it's just absurd. It's nothing. It, there's no production of any actual thing. It's all fake. It's the fakest it could possibly be. <laughs> and it's like a it's like it's oh sorry, it's still production though, oddly, right? It still uses like if you tried to buy like a graphics card recently, you you can't buy it, or it's much more difficult to buy graphics cards because everyone is buying them to do blockchain. Yeah. To 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 produce to produce like Bitcoin and stuff, which are literally useless. They're a, a use of electricity for literally nothing that produces value. It's it's like, you know. 
capitalism of fighting against you know the Marxist idea of the tendency of the rate of profit to fall by making profit in ways that don't even make sense. Uh, they don't even produce any use values, and I absolutely from to- those. totally. And and I I also had the like crypto and blockchain in mind while reading this essay. So we've kind of talked about two of the three parts of control, right? The rhizome. We've talked about the 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 need for these passwords that are that kind of allow you to move through the the parameters of these control systems as long as everything is in working order right and 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 this gets to the example you gave um from guitari of the like the 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 electronic key card right that like allows you to enter or leave a building and that's your password um but at any point like that password can be rejected for like right or wrong reasons like the 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 system of control can just be like nope access denied password decline you're rejected um but then like a third portion of this um that we've been kind of talking around is this idea of the individual Right, and this like really gets to um, the the individual as um, a kind of word for uh, a portmanteau between divided and individual. So like, there's no longer um, an individual like in like the disciplinary societies where like we're all individualized, um, we're all kind of like like shaped into these certain subjects, into these certain individuals, and then conform to the masses, but rather like we're all like divided in, in infinite ways. Um, Deleuze says, quote, individuals have become individuals and masses, sim- samples, data, markets, or banks. Perhaps it is money that expresses the distinction between the two societies best, since discipline always rendered back to minted money that locks gold in as a numerical standard, while control relates to floating rates of exchange modulated according to a rate established by a set of standard currencies. So in a weird way, like we can almost see like a lot of the like crypto evangelists are are like reacting against this this kind of like centralized disciplined society of like the gold standard of like a federal reserve of minted money. And they're like just trying to lean really far into this like, no, it needs to be like totally decentralized systems of control based on crypto or blockchain. Yeah, Yeah, fiat is too real. We need to get less real here. <laughs> you know, you start with gold standard. You know, that's like a thing. You can t- like hold gold, go into fiat, and then it's like, no, this isn't enough. Which is again like, you know, if Deleuze knew about blockchain, if he was alive around blockchain, that would be like something I think he would jump on mm. here. But obviously, you know, writing writing in the '90s, so the the tendency is only sort of beginning. <laughs> that, I, I um, love that. that but definitely fiat is to too part. real. Fiat, literally, faith <laughs> is too real. We need something more <laughs> abstract <laughs> than faith. <laughs> Maybe we can talk a little bit about the individual just as a way of like putting a bow on thinking about societies of control. And and I think like for me, like this this kind of like process of individualization um, is really like such a clear link to the ways that a lot of the like smart tech and like 
data-driven tech and systems and stuff work, where it's like we are all turned into these beings able to be divided into any number of pieces. And those pieces are separated, surveilled, scrutinized, right? Like this is like all aspects of ourself. I've, I've called it in my own work, like, like trying to think of an analogy for this of like we as a self are, refract- are refractive through a prism, right? Where it's like a beam of white light that is broken up into a rainbow, each part of the whole on display. And I feel like that's exactly what these like smart technologies and data uh, collection and stuff is trying to do in a more like advanced and pervasive way is like blow us all apart, atomize us into increasingly more streams of data, all for the purpose of accumulation, analysis, profit making, what power, whatever. Mm, right. And you're never like you're no longer in the school where the school is working on you or the factory where the factory is working on you. You're in this massive web of data accumulation in which all these institutions that used to be sort of separate are all constantly working on you or relating to you in some way through that massive sort of stream of 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 beginning to be, I guess, um, you know, publicly available or, or purchasable data. You're broken up into this code. As, as I think Deleuze says. Yeah, I mean, and, and to that point, I just saw a news story the other day that LexisNexis, which is like, you know, like, like a, a big search engine, right? That's like mo- mainly used for like legal research, but also for like business research and risk management. But it's like, it's just a big database um, and a, with a search engine. But I saw on the news that like LexisNexis has started selling data to ICE to facilitate like finding and deporting uh, people. And, and so it's like, yeah, it, it, that, that gets to the exact point that you made of like, there is no longer these like discrete institutions. It is just one web, one big data bank that is just like the, the access to it is just shared amongst anybody and everybody as long as you're in power, right? Yeah. That's a good example also of like the Aspen tree-like sort of structure of data and power, where there's this massive sort of rhizomatic web of information that any of these like authoritarian institutions can tap into and and create these, you know, because ICE is not a rhizomatic assemblage. It's a very top-down, you know, militarized um, hierarchical institution, but it can tap into the rhizome of, of massive data accumulation and, you know, um, harm people as a result and force the state and and capitalism and borders etc yeah and 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 that that exactly like we can see the whole system of control uh embodied in something like ice right where it's like you know you've just laid out this kind of rhizome and and then like the passwords right are like your visa status or your citizenship Mm. status right like as long as you've got your green card or as long as you've got citizenship then your password is in order and like the system won't touch you it won't mess with you but that doesn't mean you're not being accumulated by that system you are being individualized it has your data it is in analyzing it it's just making decisions about where and when to make itself known to make itself realized, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is it just going to be this Mm -hmm. invisible thing? Which I think gets to the point of like privilege you talked about as well, right? Where it's like, it's like this delusion of privilege that like, you know, if the system isn't messing with me, then it doesn't exist. 
right? But it's like, no, the system exists. It's just choosing not to mess with you, but it's also choosing to bust down the door of other people. Uh, and, and so like, mm-hmm. it's not this disciplinary system. It is like a perfect encapsulation of a control system that is always observing, always monitoring. And you're, you are free as long as you, your passwords are in working order and you don't trespass against the parameters of the system. But as soon as you do, the system pops up and it makes itself known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's seemingly going to get worse before it gets better, right? Like it's going to get more, the tech is going to get more ubiquitous. As I said before, with like the idea of like someone being born in a world where they don't understand how like a, a shop works except through like the Amazon Go Go method of like literally not having to, literally being entirely frictionless. Unless, of course, your password um, uh, deems that you are um, in some way um, I'm doing something that it deems wrong. Um, and yeah, obviously, uh, particularly, you know, this obviously affects the most marginalized most immediately where they, you know, in the society of control, let's say, yeah, if you're, if you're, um, the, the state is attempting to deport you, for instance, you don't have a green card, your visa expires. Then, um, if it has a, a decent amount of like data accumulated about you, it can put on red, so to speak, for all of the potential, um, barrier points that your password has to go through so you can no longer cross them and this could even be like to the most like absurd extent like you can't even get into your like uh, apartment for instance can't even get into your uh, your workplace that amount of sort of data accumulation um seems like it is yeah of course radically different than the society that like Deleuze let's say was writing in when he said that even the society of control is just beginning I think a lot of the the like outrage and confusion around some of this also gets to that point where people are trying to reckon with a transition, like a simultaneous existence, but also transition between like these different societies, right? Of like sovereignty, of discipline, of control. Because like people talk like like going on like the ice example again. Like you like I've heard so many examples of of people being like, um, yeah, like. I'm I'm a like a manager at some like workplace and like we're supposed to report if people are uh you know like quote unquote illegal immigrants or like you know I'm a teacher at a university and we're supposed to report if our students are quote unquote illegal immigrants right and it's like and 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 I think people are 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 having to reckon with yeah these institutions are not discrete they're not separate like like they are all linked together in this like continuous web yeah and it's seemingly you know the the methods i think as as you mentioned earlier where where uh Deleuze is writing as a reaction to like 68 and the resistance to disciplinary society i think the methods of resistance look very different to those attempted 40 years ago yeah uh, i mean what would right. what would even the methods of resistance look like i mean that that is like such a yeah. like you talked about earlier how it's like yeah like in the sovereign societies um and maybe this gets at like some of our like like obsession now with like uh game of thrones type fantasy right where it's like we can understand these yeah. power dynamics like there's a there's a king there's a queen yeah. right or like 
or, or maybe there's like a you know a person behind the throne but there's a person like we can understand like that's the that's the locus of power and as long as i behead them then like i i get rid of their power and and we talked about like the uprisings in like the in like the 60s right like the summer of 68 and stuff of like we need to abolish the family abolish schools like like these institutions these are the locuses of power and we just have to like get rid of them but like yeah, what is what what new weapons do we reach for um for for the control society when it's like like you said like you can try to slice the head off the serpent but like it's a hydra it, it's just going to like pop up with like two more heads and like there's going to be like a infinite number of other heads that you're not even noticing or seeing. Yeah, I mean it's obviously a very difficult question. <laughs> The answer, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, Deleuze is like trying to sort of get ahead of it, I guess. Um, but like even again, the, the way of attacking particular institutions of power, those institutions are becoming far more diffuse. How do you even begin to... I don't even know if I have an answer to it, however much I've thought <laughs> I, I, about I, I, this. I would be it's pleasantly surprised to... if you were like, actually, Jathan, I've got the answer right here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <Right. laughs> I, I think that, like, we can, we can that's the it. search that we're all that we're all on. Like, what what's the answer to this? I mean, I feel like so much of what we're trying to do in TMK is just, like, map out these, like, systems of of control and authority and just, like, hopefully in the act of revealing what's meant to be hidden, we can like figure out what to do about it. <laughs> you know, uh, it sort of relates to like the, the Deleuze Guitarian idea of like de uh, territorialization mm. that like something the capital does is it disrupts sort of social formations. It removes them or, or requires new social formations to be created because those older social forms are like not profitable. And the result of that you know, destroys a lot of social relationships. You know, it's a, it's a very forceful process. Um, people die, etc. But that it creates these lines of escape or lines of flight that um, could potentially be used to transcend the system. There's, you know, the 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 deterritorialization creates an instability in, like, you know, the state form in authority. And you can even view this with like the blockchain, for instance, where it's a far less regulated form of currency, and if it becomes more popular harder to do a lot of like monetary reform that that the state wishes to do harder to for the state to in, in a lot of contexts um, sort of close in and and you know like uh, seize people's assets for instance um, I know there's a case where um, there's this one Bitcoin wallet um, that the state is like trying to get into that they they have like the physical Bitcoin wallet but they don't know the code and it's like very encrypted and the guy's like I'm not telling you the code so they just can't get access to that that Bitcoin wallet, that like from those deterritorializations, even like the very rhizomatic ones, um, that there are these new lines of, of escape or, you know, avenues of lines of flight that can be used to transcend the system and fight against it. New sort of instabilities in the system that could be sort of seized and taken advantage of. You can think of even like blockchain used as like a way of doing a strike fund because, you know, it's much harder for the state to sort of um, control, control a lot of blockchain because it's more decentralized. Which I guess is like, you know, the a, a method, or or at least that there is there is a tendency of a line of escape as a result of the society of control, and of as a result of these sort of rhizomatic um, social organs becoming more uh, influential uh, within our lives, um, even if it's very difficult to to find. 
it can it it does exist and it can be looked for. Maybe maybe like a nice a, a nice way to kind of like wrap this up as well is just thinking about like life in a control society, right? Like mm. or, or or like 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 the the sense of the self and the subject uh in these different societies cuz like you know, I think one of the things that we we know about like a, a society based on discipline is that it like it's working towards trying to make you normal, quote unquote, right? Like like conform you, make you normal, not deviant, just just be normal. <laughs> um, uh, and and so it's very mm-hmm. normative in that sense. And I I feel like it um it through that it it like invokes this rebelliousness, right? Like you want to rebel against those norms you want you want to that's that's like that's even something you know the kind of like like countercultures and subcultures right like that's a kind of like rebellion against the norm the normalness um conformity of discipline societies like this is like a very like 70s 80s 90s kind of thing right like like but i think you know now that we're like in full swing in the control societies like the way that i think about it is that like control makes you anxious and through that like anxiety it invokes um a kind of like volatility right and i think we can see that in in the world today that there's just an immense amount of volatility whether that's like volatility in the markets or that's like social volatility in terms of like like mass shootings and things like that right like that anxiety like we're we're all made so anxious that at some point the we the markets everything is made so anxious that at some point it invokes this like volatility and um i know you are so much more familiar with um deleuze and qatari's work on like capitalism and schizophrenia than than i am um so may i wonder what you think about that yeah i i definitely agree with that that's a very good point um and and that like yeah that this this volatility creates the, this deterritorialization, so to speak, there's a, um, it's a, it's a movement towards the uh, body without organs, which is the classic, you know, Dilizzo Guitarian meme. Where it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I truly the, the best way explain of explaining it. it. <laughs> it's very. I'm sort of. I sort of got a grasp on it when it's like the idea is like you take a body and you know obviously it has organs usually and you remove everything in the body that is not essential, so it is the most bare body, the most decontextualized, deterritorialized sort of organism, so to speak, or technically not an organism. An example of this is like, um, a body with organs is like Deleuze and Guattari give is in the like sort of early, you know, communal non-state societies. The origin myth is a body with organs is like the, you know, before everything there was mother earth and then she created the world. And so there's this like, everything about the world is taken away. It's decontextualized, but there still is the world. And that sort of idea is like an apocalypse, basically. You know, because if we went back to that before everything was created, it would be literally the end of the world. And the Deleuze Guattarian argument is like that is what the early society he uses the word primitive, but that's sort of a you know bad term. Uh, what those societies view capitalism is that end of the world, is that full deterritorialization, the entire the destruction of the social formation, and that's what like capitalism wants to do. It, t- it wants to take those these social formations and break them up to make money. And there's this constant negative feedback loop, to go back to the sort of the cybernetic um, mm. ideas, towards the destruction of society, this destabilization for the sake of profit. 
And that's that's what like, you know, Amazon is doing to like e-commerce or that Uber is doing to to like taxis, for instance. It takes a more solid sort of social formation. Formation is probably the wrong word, um, but then breaks it up for more money and uses, you know, a technological innovation for the sake of that or for the for the way of doing that. The conceptualizing here is that like when the capitalist does the like, you know, disruptive innovation, which is a common mm-hmm. terminology, they are trying to destroy the world for money. Like they're trying to do the apocalypse for money, break up every social formation so that society is not even possible, but to make a buck along the way. Wow! wow. And and in that there cre- there's these sort of this destruction of in, in the destruction of social formations comes these like lines of flight or these opportunities outside of capitalism as it becomes weaker as it becomes you know decontextualized. There's a chance of recontextualizing it outside of capital. And that's something that needs to be like paid attention to as this, the tendency, you know, you pointed out before of this sort of anxiety or this, this destability that is a, a, a mainstay of the society of control. Of course, it makes me think of a meme. How could it not? Um, <laughs> where I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like, like point one, do the eschaton. Point two, question mark, question mark. Point three, profit. <laughs> I'm like, that's capitalism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has just been fantastic, as we often so so often do on TMK, where we have grand plans to talk about so much more than we have time to. I wanted to also like bring in like Guy Debeau and the Society of the Spectacle, but I, I think we're running up on time for this episode. I don't want to take up like your entire evening. We will definitely uh, in the future have an episode looking more at Debeau, and it would be really great to have you back on to to talk to us about yeah, the society definitely. of the spectacle yeah that would be great i had a great time this is a great discussion. yeah i want to i want to end it uh by quoting uh, another great paragraph from deleuze that i think is just like like such uh i don't know just like su- such a like it could stand in as like a, a a mission statement for 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 this podcast um and this is actually from a an interview that he did um, in 1990 with Antonio Negri um, called Control and Becoming. And of course, I'll throw links to all this in the episode description. But um, Deleuze says, quote, One can, of course, see how each kind of society corresponds to a particular kind of machine, with simple mechanical machines corresponding to sovereign societies, thermodynamic machines to disciplinary societies, cybernetic machines and computers to control societies but the machines don't explain anything you have to analyze the collective arrangements of which the machines are just one component compared with the approaching forms of ceaseless control and open sites we may come to see the harshest confinements as part of a wonderful happy past the quest for universals of communication ought to make us shudder and I mean, I think that, 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 that yeah, that, that rocks. And it just makes me think of like the gig economy and stuff as well, where like you hear so much about like, man, it would be great to work in like 
like the Ford factory where it's like, I've got a job that can like support a family and I'm working like, you know, only 10 hours a day, uh, five days a week. And um, man, that would be so much better than driving for Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or whatever. And I feel like that's exactly what Deleuze is like warning us about. It's like these horrible confinements and enclosures of the past we will feel nostalgia about them because what's coming is so much worse. Yeah, he was <laughs> and right. he was right. He's right. And here <laughs> we are <laughs> feeling nostalgic about working in a factory <laughs> versus an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> and with that, I want to thank you so much, Liv, for joining us. Uh, this has been great. Where can people find you? Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I have a solo philosophy podcast where I go over a lot of very similar topics uh, to this, uh, just called like Live Agar. You can search it wherever podcasts are available. Um, I also have my Twitter, uh, which is Live underscore Agar. And I'm on Twitch um, at Live Posting if you want to watch my streams. Awesome. And everyone should do all of that. You you just had, I don't know if it's your most recent one, but you just had a great podcast um, on in defense of the guillotine. And that, yes, that was yeah, just yeah. like such a great um, essay. One of the things I really like that you do on your podcast and on your like segments when you're on QAnon Anonymous um, is you you write mm-hmm. these like really beautiful philosophical essays, um, and you just you just read them and and uh, and I love it because it's like uh, it, it's very interesting and and always very well composed and thought provoking. Um, so everyone should absolutely follow Live, listen to Live, watch Live, <laughs> observe Live. Thank you. <laughs> yes, if you have access to my um, a webcam, you can turn it on. If you're my CIA agent, <laughs> if you work at Amazon and you have access to my um, uh, Alexa, you know, tune in to my private conversations as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Tap into the rhizome. Tap into the rhizome. <laughs> thank you so much, Liv. And uh, thank you all for listening. And you can also find us at patreon.com slash thismachinekills, where you can get premium episodes every single week. And uh, we will see y'all then. Later.